Hey y'all, it's your girl Naisha Stone, and you're listening to the Carved in Stone podcast, where our positive news articles come to life. Now let's get into the episode. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Carbon Stone Podcast. I really hope y'all enjoyed last week. Um, we got to talk about the sales tax in Milwaukee, and people are really like upset and happy about it. So I hope y'all learned some stuff from that episode. And you're definitely gonna learn some stuff from this episode. And I usually always say this, but I'm really excited for this guest um, because she has been very honest with me about like how to run my business uh, when it comes to like, do you even know your operational budget? And I'd be like, yeah. And I did not know until honestly like last year what she meant by that. Um, knowing like, okay, should I take investor money? Um, how do you move this way? Um, so she had to have her on my network when I have no business background has been very helpful to me. So I would like to introduce this week's um, guest, Dana Guthrie, who is the managing partner at Gateway Capital, is a venture capital firm focused on Wisconsin-based early stage startups. And I was listening to an interview. We'll get into it. But hopefully she's going to start investing in her hometown um, soon. So we'll talk about that. But hey, Dana. How you doing, Aisha? How are you? Uh, like you said, I'm pretty happy though. Uh, life has been going uh a lot better thanks to like I some advice I got from you. <laughs> I see the smile. You're like glowing. You're smiling hard, so I'm loving it. I can't wait to catch up. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, for one, I was listening to your interview with uh 889. I think it was like a year um or two ago. And one of the things that stuck out to me about from like the hour long interview um was that you say that sometimes and I. Now, I've been learning this from other black women, so we all been dealing with this, but you are able to walk around with confidence, but kind of in the back of you, you kind of be having anxiety about like trying new things or meeting new people. And that is one thing I've always dealt with, but I've never talked about it. And people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you just be pitching in front of people. And like the first time I ever pitched was I was the first one ever I pitched. I was the first one to go. And that was my first time ever pitching. And so, like, nobody knew, but I cried afterwards because no investor came up and talked to me. And I left early and I went in my car and I cried. But but the reason I brought it up is because we don't, as black women, we don't talk about, like, yeah, we like these leaders and we got this smile on, all this stuff going on. So, like, how are you able to, like, when do you ever just take the time to be like, all right, I really am dealing with some stuff. Let me just take some time for myself. Like, how how do you deal with those type of emotions? Yeah, first of all, the felt, like I've, I've had those moments where, um, you know, the anxiety becomes too much and you get, uh, but yeah, for me, like I always tell people I'm an introvert and then they'll be like, dang, like you're an introvert. I'm like, yes, I'm, I really am an introvert. I am in a role that doesn't allow me to like stay in that. So I've had to figure out ways to get myself outside that, you know, outside of my comfort zone on some of those things. And I think that over time you just, you just get a little bit better at faking it or, you know, but for me, it's like, I can, I can, I can make myself extroverted and I can like talk to people and that sort of thing, but it's the anxiety within me that makes it such that it's just draining at the end of the day. Like afterwards, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Like I can get through it. Um, You know, think of like networking events, right? Some of them, not worth it but some of them valuable and you know you take stuff from it but afterwards I'm like like I'm not that person it's like they're like oh let, let's go get drinks after I'm, I'm like, like I'm gonna go home always <laughs> always or I'm gonna yeah. go around my friends or my people but I yes we ain't gotta think about it it's effortless and, and that sort of thing so for me it's just been um 
learning myself and learning like that's that that is me and I know that I got a meter right that thing gonna keep keep going and then I gotta watch myself and know that like all right I need to I need to refresh I need to like charge my battery or whatever and whatever that looks like for me right uh, a lot of times that is music and to myself and that sort of thing so it's been interesting um roles prior to this right I was in engineering and stuff and so it was easier for me to you know engineer I'm programming and that sort of thing but I learned like even in corporate once I became like a, a I did sales for a bit I was in product management now no like you're talking to the CTOs of these other companies or the CIO and that and you just have to be able to turn it on when you need to and then but understand that at your core I can't change the fact that I am naturally an introvert. I love how you said it's draining because I never described it in that way. And I just interviewed this guy whose his whole business is DEI and teaching people about code switching and how draining that is. And we kind of do that all the time, all, all, all the time. And you don't realize until you get home and be like, hmm, that makes me feel okay just to sit here. Like. <laughs> even things like like you know my day if if I'm looking at a typical day in my life I could be talking to an investor I could be talking to um founders like yourself I could be talking to you know corporate partners or, or that sort of thing and even just context switching is difficult right even like going from you know talk, talking to Naisha about um you know, her operating budget to going to a team gateway team meeting, we're talking strategy at high level and like in aggregate, you know, numbers, and then going and talking to a, an investor about like, well, how's the phone going? So it's just like, so uh, even context switching and code switching is, is because you have to be, you know, for my team, sometimes they, they, they may need empathy. Founders always need empathy. We do, we do. <laughs> Um, whereas investors are like very, I have to turn on the analytical side of my brain, like numbers and, you know, factual data and all of that. So that alone is just like, whew. Every time we talk, you teach me something. I didn't know that was a term and I didn't know I was doing it all the time. But every time well, I interview somebody, have a meeting with somebody, I pitch to somebody, it switches every time. Like you always say who you are, but you got to figure out, okay, how much of me in this yep. space will they accommodate for? <laughs> not, even, not even accommodate, but how much, how much am I willing to get, you know, how much am I willing to give? And, and mind you, I have a friend and she, she showed me her calendar once her calendar were all like these crazy different colors and I was like why do you have like all these colors on your calendar and she put basically every different color was like a different business function so this may be finance or this may be I do uh, that too well if you look at your calendar and it's all like finance meetings oh you're gonna have a pretty analytical day like that muscle is all you're going to work out all day. That can be tiring to have all that in a single day, right? Versus if you mix it up, maybe you got some marketing throwing in there. Now I can switch context and like, you know, or if you have, I'm going marketing, I'm going finance, I'm going legal, you're context switching all day. Like it's, that's tiring, that's draining. And even now to interviews, like depending on the interview. So if this was an article, we'll probably be on the phone. So I'm probably, I would be way more laid back. 
if it was a video interview of wearing a person, I would be probably my posture be a little bit different yeah. for a pop. I've had to like learn that. Like, and so I'm more comfortable with doing articles because I can just, you ain't got to see my face. So a podcast, yeah. you kind of like, all right, they're going to really see my mannerisms. So if I'm questioning something, I got to hold my face because I really cannot control my face. So that's like, I had to like really learn that like really early on. Like, I really don't believe what you're saying, but I can't show you that I don't believe what you're saying. So yourself <laughs> on video, like, mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. but uh going back to like you becoming comfortable with who you are and knowing who you are um in that interview you said when people ask you who you are you will always be like I don't know if I want to say I'm a venture capitalist like are you comfortable now saying like this is what I do I walk in it or do you still kind of like like how do you feel about that I I, I still kind of I still kind of cringe at it if I'm if I'm being honest but I do say that you know I I do feel more comfortable saying look we invest and we support like high growth potential, excellent founders. Like, you know, so I can say that with confidence. The term venture capitalist. It's not like a white man to me, changing. sorry. It, it, <laughs> exactly. It's changing. You know, the face of it is changing, especially um, national, nationally and globally. I think that, you know, we've, in recent years, you're seeing a different face of venture capital, but historically it is kind of this kind of black box thing, old white men, you know, uh, but oh boy, you know what I mean? Like it's all kind of networked together and no one knows how to get inside of that sphere. Um, and so to say it, yeah, like even when I was back on 88.9, they were like, venture capitalist. Um, it, it, was, it was tough to say. Sometimes it's just easier for me to say, look, I'm an engineer. Like I went to school for engineering. <laughs> I feel, I'll be like, I know, I know why I didn't invest. I know why I got a fun. I don't care. <laughs> oh, like she is like, it. that is so cool. Like that <laughs> yeah. is so inspiring because you really changed my perspective. Like to all the people that I've been meeting, I've been changing my perspective. Like I started a news company, but it's way bigger than that. Like it's ownership, like owning the, the actual meeting and me actually giving the jobs instead of me actually looking for the jobs. And that's how I look at you with the fun. You weren't trying to start a startup. You was like, how to actually get money? And then you became that person that started investing the money. So going into that, um, can you talk about how you decided to invest in The Way Out? And um, you invested in Chad, too. So I know it's cool to know, like, two of the people you invested in and what made you be like, yeah, I know these are the people and it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. So um, I love Chad and I love Ellie and I love Ruben. So first of all, the great people, like everybody that you named are just dope, dope people. Um, but really what it was about them was their vision for something bigger than what we could see at the time, right? So like, um, when I say we focus on like high growth potential, like people, people always like, what, you know, what does that mean? But this, this means something that is highly scalable, something that is, um, able to be, you know, monetized nationally and globally right that can reach extreme extreme levels of uh uh you know success in terms of um financial numbers and that sort of thing so with the way out specifically it was interesting because when i when i first when they first pitched this full transparency when they first pitched me it was a pass because i was like well we don't do nonprofits like we don't invest in nonprofits and um but I was like, but I'm willing to help you guys in like other ways and, and that sort of thing. So I don't know how many months or so passed. Somehow we our paths cross again. And at this time they're talking about a technology. And, and at that time it's still a pass, but I'm like, 
but I'm confused. Like you, you told me this stuff about like these services that you guys do. And then now I'm hearing about tech. So like, help me understand. And really what it was, was the way out's vision. The way out is a technology company. They are a software company. And if everybody needs to know that and get that right, mm-hmm. because they weren't able to raise funds, they were, um, encouraged to stand up a nonprofit arm why does everybody you know okay go ahead you know what I mean they were encouraged to do that right and and so I'm like okay well tell me I don't want to talk about none of the other stuff tell me about the technology tell me what was your original vision there and you know tell me tell me like how you got to today and long story short after the conversations I was like oh you were just like badly advised there this is a very scalable company um i am willing to look into this we're gonna have to do some due diligence and look into it but and there are more the way outside there like there are competitors in the space which everyone thinks is a bad thing in vc it's like no when there are competitors in the space that shows that there's an opportunity right there's value here so um i we invested in the way out the software company and i needed them to see themselves as you know ceos and coos of you know, a technology company. I think that the the um, the burden or the uh, experience that they had in their journey to fundraising, they felt like getting after grant dollars was easier, which maybe that's true. But everybody's going after grant dollars and the size of the investment. They're just, don't get me on my, I have a whole soapbox to get on around like, you know, <laughs> minority folks, especially black people starting nonprofits. And I'm like, there there's, so much value to some of the ideas that we have they're just underfunded under-resourced that sort of thing so with the way out it was like look no no we we don't talk to me about that other stuff not that that's not dope because I actually think that that part of the you know that part of their mission and everything is also great but you wouldn't give venture capital for that and that's not the part that's going to scale and actually allow you to have the reach and the the impact that you really want to do, which is massive. I love that because that was one thing we always used to talk about. I was like, well, I have a for-profit, should I start a nonprofit? And I had to figure it out. And so now I actually have both. And so what we're doing is now fundraising for work development. Because what I learned is a lot of local newspapers or independent um, newsrooms are nonprofits and that's how for their employment. And but what the issue is, they only get enough funding just for employment. They can't do anything else. So now we have our for profit, which is now on its way to making a lot of money. So now we can now have this side where we can support doing whatever we need on this side. Do we want our money? But then also be able to support our staff to get more clients to order to increase sales. So I finally figured out a way around is because like you <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> specifically when it comes to journalism, because they'd be like, it's not sustainable. Is is no money in it. So how do you, as an investor, how do you figure out, because I think you were saying like most, like 50 to 7% of the stuff that you invest in usually doesn't make a return. So yeah, 80, 90, 80, 90% going. Is it 80-90? Yeah, yeah. You know, 8 out of 10 companies fail. The one or two are going to make the return for the whole fund. So is it just based off of like potential numbers? Like if whoever just basically has the best potential numbers or how you know, like, okay, I think I want to, I think this kind of has potential. Like, like what are some key things, I guess? Yeah, so you're looking at, you're doing a lot of market research. What's the market opportunity, you know, for something like this? Who are the target cu- customers, right? Like, 
what is it you know that we suspect that it's going to cost to get it there what you know how much do we need up front to even start to to test the market and understand you know some of the early adopters and, and what are the things that they're going to need so market research market sizing team is super super important is this the team um uniquely qualified to do this thing at this point in time it could be i could have met you know some of the company that different points and times and it might not have been the right thing that could be just our portfolio isn't in the space um that could be like the the world itself isn't in the space for something like this but you know looking at the team and saying is this team uniquely qualified to to run this at this time you know so you mentioned chad chad was so you know he's so in tune with that problem that he's solving with with TipScript, understanding the issues in healthcare he saw with his mom that man is hungry. You know, oh man, I see it. When how he walk, how he talk, I just be like, dude, you've been doing this for like, like your whole life. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so understanding, you know, like what's gonna keep that person motivated, or what what's gonna keep that team motivated and moving forward when things get hard, because things are gonna get hard. You can talk to anybody in our portfolio today. Like everyone thinks that entrepreneurship is sexy, and it's hard. Like it's hard, you know it. Like you know it's hard. So what's gonna make that person wake up and continue to do this, right? Um. So so uh, that's the thing. And then another thing that we we look for, and I, I've struggled kind of explaining this to founders because I think that they think it's a BS answer, but it actually truly is. I'm trying to see where Gateway can, if and where Gateway can add value. So I'm looking at who do I know, how am I network, what's my resource, what what are my skill sets, and what can I bring to the table? We don't want to be dumb money, right? We want to actually help and assist you in getting your company to the next level. Many of the companies that we invest in are pre-revenue, early revenue. So we're trying to get you to that next point. You're revenue generating, you're killing it. You know, how do we get to a million? How do we get to five million? Those are the things that we're talking about. And I have to see a path. I have to see how Gateway can somehow help you in doing that. We don't want to just sit on the sideline, throw you money and hope for the best, right? So um, all of those things. So we're doing a lot of data analysis and market research and all that stuff. Those are the tangibles, those are the hard things. But then you have the soft stuff like team and um, how can we be valuable to this particular founder? You're a researcher to death. Um, I, I picked that up like years ago. Like you would sit there and just, if you want to know something, yeah. you're going to know it. We're going into that. So with Gateway Capital, um, am I saying this correctly? Are you the first black woman in Wisconsin to successfully have their own fund or or what's the like? Because you're the first something. I have no clue. That's crazy. Have, you better know, dude. But you, you know you make making history. That's crazy, dude. I have you have no clue, but um probably I'm trying to think. I'm gonna say yeah. So in terms of like a, in terms of like the, you know, the managing part, the lead fund manager and all that, probably yes. My my whole point of bringing that up is, um, how difficult was that in the state of Wisconsin? Because that just seems so just out of the ordinary. You know, like I, I always say, like, you know, part of it was me. I have been working. Pe people see it when it pops, like. Mm -hmm. There's always you, you said you had the plan when you had um uh, yeah, yeah. yeah so like um who is it Kevin Hart I think it was Kevin Hart who said like 
you know, people don't see like the 10, 20 years that I put in before it all popped and it all kind of, kind of came together. So people know Gateway started in like 2021, you guys were hearing. But people behind the scenes know that they know was working on this and thinking about this years and years before that. And I remember like one of my mentors and biggest supporters and investor in an investor in Gateway Capital. Now he's one of the first people that I shared this idea with years ago, like years ago. And I remember him telling me, there's no way nobody giving you any money. There's no way anyone's giving you money for this idea, right? And so again, it is that right person, right time kind of thing. At that point, one, I wasn't ready. I didn't know what I didn't know at that time. Two, the Wisconsin ecosystem wasn't even in a space where we would be able to deploy the capital in the way that we in the way that we um, in the way that we do today. So um, when by the time everybody was hearing about it, I had gone through all the challenges. I had gone through a VC training course. I had gone, you know, I had run my own angel investment network. I had understood what it what it takes legally. Nobody talks about that, but even to legally stand up a fund. It is so expensive that it's near impossible. And then I have people tell me, well, you know, you can talk about deferred fund, you know, deferred payments, just like all these things that you would never know. So it is it is not easy standing up fund. Fundraising is not easy. You know, understanding that, you know, and I just told you I'm an introvert. Now I'm telling you I'm going and I'm having all these meetings. <laughs> I remember I remember we had a meeting two years ago. And you were saying, no, I think that was going on three in 2004. Okay, so you were saying you were starting off asking people, you was like, you were trying to raise a certain amount of money. And you started off asking for small amounts, but then you had to realize, you was like, I'm never going to get to this amount if I keep asking for these tiny little dollars. So what oh, gave you the confidence to be like, all right, well, let me switch it up? Oh, it was like, so I never, I never actually started asking for those amounts. I was being coached Got by you. that, like, oh, you should make your you know, you're asked to be this. And I'm like doing a math on like, how many times <laughs> in order to meet my number? That's ridiculous. I was like, and then I'm right now, who are the accredited investors that I know in my network that would even consider investment? That list wasn't long, right? So now I'm like, I need to be talking to people who are going to potentially open doors and make, you know, make connections, but they got to get to know me. I'm the fund manager that, you know, they got, so it's going to take time, but I made the decision and I didn't go out with that. Number. We didn't go. I would have never made it if I, if I did that. Um, but yeah, it was just, it, you know, fun, fundraising in and of itself. Like I always tell founders, even when they come and pitch to me, I have a certain level of empathy for you because I had to raise funds, right? Like that, that in and of itself is just a hard, like brutal thing for founders to go through. And it's, it's not, it's not easy for anyone. Um, with with Gateway Capital in particular, I think the timing played a huge huge part. Like I was launching and raising at a time where COVID happened, right? And so that on the surface looks like a negative. I was like, I'm crazy to be doing this. Um, but in reality, what it does was was it made all these people who are high net worth typically in and out of you know on the move all the time, in and out of town very hard to get on their calendar. They're meeting with 50 million people in a day. I can never get on their calendars. All of a sudden they're at home because nobody can go anywhere. And I'm like, oh, 
I can talk to you on a Monday and I can get right back to you on the follow-up by on the Friday. It's it would have been impossible if the world hadn't shut down. It would have been impossible for me to talk to these people so frequently. So I think that I think that that happened. I think that where I was in my career, having you know done product management, basically you're an entrepreneur within a corporation and run engineering teams globally, right? U.S. Germany, India, having experienced that, and then you know supported founders from a from a, a technology standpoint. Did freelance development shortly after I graduated school. Started Alchemy. Started figuring out how we support them from an investment standpoint. I think it just all kind of came together. But the fundraising fundraising is a long haul for anyone. I will say. I was the most focused I've ever been during my fundraising. <laughs> I was like locked in. I, it was, I had things down to a science and it was just going through a, a process. Like it, I, I took every meeting serious when I met with, with um, I basically prepared for a pitch like I was preparing for a basketball game. So I did, you know, you study film. I knew everything about an investor before the first time I ever got on the phone with everything. I'm talking about everything. Not that. <laughs> I know what, you know, what they cared about, what, you know, what are their charitable, what do they care about? Like all these things. Um, whatever's public about like their fit, like I knew, like if they have kids, and at that time I can't relate on that because I I didn't have a kid at that time, but just knowing these things, right? So I went in super prepared did the pitch. I got confident in making the ask. That was something that I struggled with earlier. Like, ain't no, nobody's going to give you money if you don't ask for money. You can pitch all you want. And if then you don't say what you want, they, they're not, they're going to act like they didn't, you know, they didn't know it. So I got confident in my ask. Um, and then I would, I would just like after a game, you would, you know, go back and review with the team, how, how things went. I would go back and I would assess how I thought that meeting went. Like I'm writing all this stuff down. It's like a playbook. Like here's how I'm gonna do on the next one. Here, here were the next step. Every time I left the an investor, even if it was a no, I was like, okay, if that's totally fine. Are there others in your network that might be interested in this opportunity? So I, I always got to a next thing. I don't think people understand, like, even though somebody told you no, you can always ask them why and then see if there's a way around it or if they like or someone they know might be interested. So I think that's like a great tip. But you have brought up earlier, um, well, not actually not in this interview, but you have said like a lot of people don't know like the background. That's because you don't talk about the stuff while you're doing it. How important is it for you to complete what your mission is before you publicly announce it? Because a lot of people, like even with the foundation, I mean, that was always a plan almost like eight years ago. And I'm just now, you know, so like, how important is it for yeah. you to complete your goal before you just start talking? <laughs> yeah, pe people disagree with me on this, but I'm big on like, when you hear me talking about it, it's done. I already did it. Like, yeah. When you're, when you're, when you're hearing me, one of my investors actually told me that he was like, oh, even throughout the fundraise, he was like, oh, you know, you can get some overly optimistic fund managers or founders. He's like, when Dana says it, the deal is going through or something's going through is is going through because it's already done by the time I tell anybody about it it's already done so that's extremely important to me even back when I talked to um Tariq on 88 88.9 that was something that he wanted to talk about like these accolades and all this stuff and I was like I just want the portfolio to speak for itself I think it's it's still early right it takes seven ten minutes 
or it takes seven, 10 years before, you know, you truly know how a portfolio did in the end. Um, but I'm just, I'm excited to get to that point where then it, we look back and they're like, okay, there was a method to her madness, even when nobody could see it, even when nobody understood what the hell, why did I do that? You know, when we look back, it's like, oh, okay. Like that worked. Like there was something about it. And that's how my fund rate, I feel like that's how my fund, I feel like everybody kind of, they were like, oh, we support it, but we don't know where she's coming from. We don't know. I don't know that. And then we raised, we were oversubscribed at 13 and a half million. Well, we were only really supposed to get to eight. And everybody's like, how in the world did she do that? So how, how did it feel for you to make it to that point? Um, was it like, was it honestly, was it a boost for you? Was it just like, well, I already knew this was going to happen, period? Or like, how did you feel in that moment where you really did accomplish it, knowing people were really questioning what you were doing? I think once I got into the, you know, the early pitches and everything, you struggle, right? You're getting feedback. But once I got my confidence on, basically, I've heard like every challenge that you can have to this one. That's like, oh, I'm going to do this. I would, and when I, when, you know, as a part of it, right, I had to do like, uh analysis on the vc landscape on what's here and i just knew like what gateway does you know i focus on low to moderate income that none of that exists in wisconsin today and so i had confidence not necessarily that i would make the raise but i had confidence that i know that i'm doing the right things and even if it all goes to hell and it doesn't work out i can sleep at night knowing that i did the right things i did everything that i could there was no one that was going to outwork me on this raise and like and I stand on that today, you know, like people are going, aren't going to outwork me. Like I live and, and breathe this. So I'm confident in, in those aspects. I can't always say that it's always going to work out in my favor, but I'm going to do everything that I can on my end. Everything that I control is going to be such that it's going to pop. <laughs> it's okay if you want to ask this, but how old are you? Third, I had to think about it. I'm 35. 35. And you are 13 point. What was you at? 13 and a half million? 13.5. Yes. That is amazing. Like, I really want you to, like, feel that, believe in that. Because I know you'd be like, I always had this vision, all that. But, like, sometimes we don't ever, like, just sit and be like, damn, I actually really did just accomplish something I put out for. And that inspires me. And that inspires, like, a lot of people because you you already know. And you're from somewhere else. So, for you to come here and, like, make your stance in a whole nother place, that's, that's, that's tremendous. And that's amazing. Um... Before we get cut off, a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. When do you think it will be time or what impact do you want to have in your hometown? Because I know you talked about like you possibly want to invest um there, but like, are there any plans yeah, of what you want to do at home? To, yeah, I would love to in the future. I, I feel like our strategy, while it's Wisconsin focused, you know, early stage, early stage startups, especially those run by minority founders um, or underrepresented founders, especially those in low to moderate income communities, they are oftentimes attacking some of the most overlooked but high value problems and they're underinvested. That that resonates not just in Wisconsin, that resonates in Missouri, you know, there is that you can take that anywhere. And so, you know, at some point, I don't know timing, but at some point it would, you know, you want to get back to the hometown and, and, and see, you know, uh try to make your mark there uh as well. So yeah, I would love to you know, at some point, figure out how that how that comes together. You're gonna do it. You're gonna do whatever you want to do. So, I appreciate like... it. <laughs> I appreciate it. 
Well, how I end all my interviews, when people listen to this um this episode, what do you want them to get from it? Ooh, that's a real good question. Um, I guess what I, you know, what I, I want I, I want folks to take from it is that you with with planning, with faith, um, and with the work, I think that you can do anything. I feel like you know, our community, oftentimes we can't see someone that looks like us in certain places, but once we see it, we can overshoot it. So the only reason that I knew that it was possible to run and manage a, a fund in the firm is because uh, Corey Nettles runs a private equity firm in Wisconsin. And so like, you know, I see that I'm like, dang, like that's a black man running a private equity firm here successfully. Um, and so, uh, you know, to answer your question around taking away from it, it's just like putting yourselves in positions, putting ourselves in positions to like see these things. And then folks like me, even though I hate to do it, even though I like rather like get the get the work done and then come back and talk about it. Sometimes just letting people see your journey um, as well and under, understand that you struggle too. like I it wasn't sweet. You know, there were times where, you know, I'm doubting myself. Even in the midst of it now, so we have seven portfolio companies right now. I'm always thinking about it. There's always things that can be done better and ways that I can improve. Um, and I'm constantly trying to trying to do that. And I think that when I speak about that, then you know people can better relate to to it and not just think like, oh, Dan just popped out and raised like thirteen and a half million dollars. No, there were years, like literally years, and a lot of no's before I ever got to it. Ain't gonna lie, if you didn't like me with me, probably I'm like, man, uh, I was, I, cause I was like, that's why I really found out who you were, cause I was so scared when I, when Q and them like introduced, I was so scared to meet you, cause I'm like, usually when I've met people who have a lot of money or have low status, they, they be just weird, but she was like, no, nah, what up? And I'm like, oh, thank God, thank God, cause I was so scared back then. I'm like, I just want to help. I don't know where I'm at, and you were just like, all right, all right, let me listen, okay. And I'm like, thank God. <laughs> I remember the first time we met. I remember um, even when you were in uh, the book with, working with Yes. I remember all that. So yeah, I was like, "We're good." <laughs> like, like we're good. Yeah, well, cool. I hope y'all enjoyed the episode, Dana Guthrie of Gateway Capital. If y'all looking to invest in a fund. Hey, we have one right here in Wisconsin. So I always got to plug my, my guest. She didn't ask. So uh, it was all, it was all me and I do not care. <laughs> but y'all are listening to the Carbon Stone podcast. Please join us every Tuesday as I interview someone around the world about the positive things in their life. And remember, in the end, everything will be carved in stone. In the end, everything will be carved in stone.